Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, just for the tape, I'm uh, to do this. Uh, my name is Kevin John Connor, <laughs> uh, the former minister of Senior uh, Waverley Christian Fellowship. Turned over to my son, Mark, about uh, eight or nine years ago. And uh, we'd like to encourage everybody, if you're new in the church, we have four what we call life tracks, and we encourage everybody to go through the four life tracks first before they come into the advanced course. Some of you have a uh, special dispensation for the night, I believe. (laughs) Thank you. All right, now, uh, what what we want to do commencing tonight, uh, as we put in the uh, bulletin, uh, in this series, I'm going to be dealing with some of the most important lessons uh, that I've learned along the journey of uh, my life, and uh, just share some of the scriptural principles and uh, some of the personal experiences that the Lord has given me over many years. So I thought I'd start off this way, even though you may not be able to see it. uh, In due time, I'll get PowerPoint. At the moment, I've only got power to point. So uh, that's about it. Everybody see that? Uh, I'll explain it here. Now, in the uh, in the in the in the body of Christ, God has set different ministries here, and uh, according to Romans chapter twelve and a few of the other other uh, passages of Scripture here, we find that the Lord has set in the church apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, and so forth, elders, uh, exhorters, and so forth. So, uh, uh, the way I want to approach this tonight, say here is a here is a person sick in bed. I think my wife uh, did this. She's very sick. And gathered around the bed is an apostle, a server, a giver, a teacher, prophet, mercy shower, exhorter. Um, I can't even read it myself. Evangelist <laughs> and so forth. And we have all these different ministries that the Lord has set in the body of Christ. And uh, every one of them, as you look at these different ministries, you can bring your binoculars if you want to, but as you look at these different ministries, how many know that they would all see a sick person from a different point of view? So uh, I just scribbled down on my notes here. Uh, What do you think the apostle would say to this uh, person sick in bed? Something like this. The sooner you get better, the better, because we need to get you out on church planting team. (laughs) What do you think the mercy shower would say? How do you feel? Hope you will get better soon. Here's a get well quickly card. And the evangelist, what do you think the evangelist would say? Have you ever really given your heart to the Lord? And have you witnessed anybody since you've been in the hospital? And what do you think the servant would say? Don't worry about the house, I've cleaned it up for you. And the exhorter would say, how can we use what you're going through to help you really see your need of God? And the giver, what do you think the one who has the ministry of giving would say? Uh, Do you have any unpaid bills? I'll pay them up for you. (laughs) And the administrator, what do you think the administrator administrator would say? Um, Relax, I've given your job at the office to two other people. The firm is okay now. (laughs) And a pastor who has a real shepherd's heart, what do you think he'd say? I just want to let you know that a lot of people are praying for you. You're on their prayer list. And uh, the teacher, what what do you think the teacher would say? The teacher would say, the more I see how sick you are, 
I think I'll do a research paper explaining how sin and sickness are definitely interrelated. (laughs) And of course, the prophet, what do you think the prophet would say? There must be some terrible sin in your life, and that's why you're under the deep dealings of God. So how many see that same poor sick person, but everybody looks at from a different angle? Uh, Put your hands up if you haven't got the, uh, the outline at the back there, see some. All right, so I'm a teacher and I'm going to come from things from a teacher's point of view. All right, now, just uh, maybe on the back of your notes here, just by way of introduction, I'd like to um, sort of start this way and then move into what we're going to do tonight. As I said, over, the, uh, over this term, I'm going to share some of the uh, uh, most important lessons that I've learned over my life. And uh, all of us go through a journey. Uh, And uh, another illustration I'd like to put up, I like to use this sometime, particularly at a funeral, though this is not a funeral. (laughs) So uh, at the back of your notes, you might be able to see this one a little bit better. Life is like a journey, and uh, all of us, we we, we enter by the gate I call the gate of birth, uh, over here, gate of birth. And uh, we, let, we leave life by the gate of death. Uh, one is our entrance into life, and the other is our exit unless the Lord Jesus comes. And life is like a valley of decision. We have to make decisions in time. We learn lessons in time. And how many know that uh, uh, decisions in time affect eternal destiny? So I think that's a good statement to put down if you're taking down any thoughts here. Uh, Yes, so uh, decisions of time affect eternity, and decisions determine our destiny. So all of us are like on a journey. We enter, as I said, through the gate of of, uh, of birth, uh, the door of birth, and our journey ends as we leave life through the door of death. And in between those two doors, uh, we're on a, on, a, on a journey, and none of us know how long that journey is. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21, have a very uh, interesting passage there where the Lord writing to the church at, uh, uh, at uh, Thyatira says, I gave, uh, in this case, Jezebel space to repent. And the word space there is simply time. And none of us know how long that time is. Uh, in fact, another way that we could put it is, um, if we put it this way, uh, applying it to all of our lives, just the uh, same thing we've got there, uh, I think my son uses this illustration. All right, I was born 1927, and I came into this life by the gate of birth. And here I am, 76. I don't look 76, do I? No. Who said 96 back there? Okay. So I don't know how long I've got. You know. So between 1927 uh, and whatever the time the Lord gives me, we are all in uh, what, what uh, has been said. You know, on everybody's tombstone, they have the date of birth, born 1927, so forth, and died here, and there's always this dash. And all of us are living in the dash, and none of us know how long the dash is. And so in this period of time, we've got lessons to learn, we've got decisions to make. As I said, uh, you know, our decisions affect God's decision. as I've got on the diagram, decisions of man made in time affect God's decision for us concerning eternity. 
greatest decision any of us can make is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. How many can say amen on that? And so uh, none of us know how long our journey is and uh, what lessons we learn. So that's what I want to share about tonight. I want to share the uh, first major lesson that I've had to learn over, the, over, over my years. Uh, and so you can go back to your notes here, the outline I've given you. The, uh, the, first, the first thing I thought I'd start off on tonight is dealing with what uh, some of us may have heard about is generational curses. How many have heard anything about generational curses? And uh, I thought tonight as I begin a little bit of my journey and, and, and along with the scripture tonight, just tell you one of the hardest things that I had to uh, learn and that was just this whole issue about generational curses. And over the years, and I'm sure many of you have heard that, I've heard preachers say about people being under generational curses and so forth, and uh, quoted the scripture that uh, the sins of the fathers are visited onto the generations, to the third and fourth generation, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, uh, to the third and fourth generation, so forth. And uh, so that has really bothered me over the years. So uh, because of, of the way I was born and my birth, uh, uh, when I came of age and uh, I decided to try and find out, or somebody helped me find out just who I was, where did I come from and so forth. And uh, this is one of the hardest things I've had to handle in my life. So just going to move through this quickly and then uh, go to the, what I felt the Lord helped me handle on this. Uh, a uh, number of years ago when the Freedom of Information Act uh, came out, uh, a lot of information was released and so somebody was helping me on this. And uh, I, I really at the time, they said, do you want me to go ahead and find all this out about yourself? And I said, well, I'm not sure if I do. Uh, not having parents, not knowing where I came from, uh, being institutionalized and so forth, I uh, wasn't sure that I really wanted to know. I thought if I do find out, I might be very happy. If I find out, I may not be very happy. So I struggled with this for quite a while. I said, all right, I'll take the risk and so forth because, uh, you know, as often said, uh, uh, ignorance is bliss, to, it is, it's folly to be wise. So I thought, while I'm innocent, I don't know anything, maybe I'm safe. So anyway, I said, well, go ahead with it. Well, eventually they uh, went around a lot of places there and uh, hunted high and low and uh, got some information. I'm just going to run through some of this. And, uh, you know, when I say these things, all of us have a story, and, and it's going to probably take all eternity, or maybe God will get over real quick, um, just to hear our different stories and, and, and just the grace of God in all of our life. And we can say amen on that. So uh, I never want to, you know, say these things for any, uh, any pity party reason. But at the end, I hope that what I'm giving you tonight, if it doesn't help you personally because uh, you've had a happy life and everything like that, I hope it's going to help you to help somebody else because of the generation that we're living in. So um, the records provide quite a, uh, a, an unstable childhood, uh, as I found out. Uh, believe it or not, I know a lot of you think I'm a very intelligent person. Well, believe it or not, when I was a kid, I was very dopey, dreamy, spacey type of kid. I, I don't look that type now, do I? Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I was just very spacey. Uh, really, at school, I was a dingaling. That's no false, that's no false humility, anything like that. That's just the facts of life. So anything I say tonight uh, is entirely, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I appreciate God's grace in my life. So uh, when they gave me all this information there, I was a bit shocked. I thought uh, maybe I shouldn't have known it. But uh, from the Infant Life Protection Act, it was called the ILPA, uh, 1927, the 6th of the, of the 2nd, 1927, first thing it states, 
Kevin John Connor, born illegitimate. So what do you think that did to me? Born in women's hospital, Carlton. Father, one name. In fact, uh, I don't know who I am <laughs> even now uh, because I had three different names. My mother was just a bad woman, sorry to say, and met this person. I won't mention names, but met casually on a dance floor. And uh, then I was put in a Carlton refuge home uh, with a certain lady. And then a few, uh, this is all in the first year, then I was taken to a girl's depot, whatever for when I'm a boy. Uh, <laughs> but just a cute little baby I must have been. And then, uh, then I was put out into another, I'm just reading through the record of my terrible life here, you know. Then I was put out to somebody else in Yarraville. And then in my orphan years, I was one year of age, I was back in the girls' depot. And then uh, in the same month, uh, I was sent over to Collingwood to another lady. Two years of age, I was sent off to Collingwood to another lady. Uh, in 1929, when I was two years of age, I was sent off to another different lady. 1930, when I was three years of age, I went off to another lady. And then I was put back in the girls' depot. Maybe they didn't know what I was. Anyway. <laughs> And then uh, when I was five years of age, I was in the Fairfield Hospital, who God only knows what for, because I didn't get circumcised. Um, <laughs> just to let you know, anyway, that's, you know. Uh, that's not an invasion of privacy, okay, so. <laughs> I mean, when somebody calls you an uncircumcised Philistine, what do you do, you know? Then five years of age, I was put back in the girls' depot again, whatever for. And then uh, later on in that year, I was put in another lady's home. I've had so many women in my life here. S six years of age, I was sent over to Richmond East to another different lady. And then uh, 1934, when I was seven years of age, I was sent off to Richmond East again to a different lady. Eventually, in 1935, when I was eight years of age, I ended up in the Box Hill Boys' Home and was there for a few years as a ward of the state. And then oh, somewhere from, uh, uh, I went for a few days holiday. I don't even remember any of this because I was so spacey. Uh, then I was put back in the Box Hill home again. 1941, uh, I was put to work uh, being a ward of the state and I got the huge sum of uh, 10 shillings and sixpence a week. Didn't know anything about paying tithes in those days, praise God. Had to buy my own clothes out, out of that and uh, everything like that. Worked seven days a week on a farm. I remember squirting the, the cats with the cow's milk anyway, I learned that. <laughs> uh, way up in, a, in the Mallee in a, uh, a country town called Colgoa. And then uh, when I was 16 years of age, I was uh, brought down here to uh, Middlebow Road on an orchard, uh, working at, uh, uh, on an orchard place there. And then uh, the record goes on, 21st of the 6th, 1943, managing for himself, referred a file, which I couldn't get a hold of. When I went to try and get hold of the file, they said all the records have been burnt. And then uh, when I was 17 years of age, 1944, uh, the record just ended up managing for himself. And then 1945, when I was 18 years of age, uh, it had expiration of term, uh, no longer a ward of the state. So... Um, yeah, so quite an interesting record. And then uh, it sort of gave a little bit about my mum, um, which wasn't uh, very interesting, really. 
And it says, uh, when I was a year and a half uh, old, uh, the mother is evidently an unsatisfactory individual. Her correct name is, her mother lives in Tasmania, so I'm a Tasmanian devil, uh, (laughs) converted. And it is believed that the young woman is now married to a man named someone else and she's now living in Melbourne. And then a few days, uh, a few months later, the mother called today, she admits her name is, and says she gave a false name as she did not wish her people to know of her trouble. She says the name of the child's father is Kevin Connor. I mean, I've got three different names here. I wonder I'm confused. Um, yeah, Kevin, and that she met him on three occasions only at dances at Yarraville and that she, should, she now knows nothing of him. She's again pregnant. So I was first born anyway. And staying at a private hospital at Sydney Road, Coburg, where she's known as Mrs. So-and-so. She's not married, but says a man named so-and-so is responsible for her trouble. She does not appear to be 21 years of age. So uh, in due time, I found out, according to the records, that uh, my mother did get married, eventually, to the third name. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm really supposed to be. And uh, the record just sort of closes with this. Kept by uh, my mother for three months, 6th of February to the 5th of May. And then over the years, 1927 to 34, at least in seven different homes, being looked after by seven different ladies over these years. Uh, maintenance fell into arrears for four weeks and uh, automatically became a ward of the state. Over the same years, in several different institutions, apparently I was in Carlton Refuge, uh, Tirana Boys Home or Youth Training Centre, then in Box Hill Boys Home and then uh, my first job at 14 years of age. So, you know, my years, uh, one to seven, as I said, were very hazy years. Didn't know who I was, just a dreamy, spacey kid, uh, just from uh, pillar to post. And uh, just, so, just for me, you know, just for me, maybe there are others that identify with this more than, uh, than we realise. But uh, just being an orphan over those years and... Uh, uh, just an unwanted child, no parents, and missing a father and mother. I, I, know, I know this sounds absolutely dumb and stupid, but uh, I escaped from one of the homes that I was in, and I was, think I was about eight years of age. So I remember asking a couple of kids in the boys' home. We, we'd been studying geography at, uh, at, uh, at school then, and I'd been learning all about the Suez Canal and everything like that, so we decided to escape to the Suez Canal. So... <laughs> Dumb as I was at eight or nine years of age, I asked God to wake me up so I could get off to the Suez Canal. Now, I know this sounds absolutely dumb, stupid. It's all that. All the things you're thinking about it. So I asked the kids, and they, I, I woke up at the right time. God or the devil woke me up. So I went into the kids' bedroom and asked them, say, come on, let's get going. And they said, we'll follow you. I'm still waiting for them to catch up to me. Uh, you know, eight, eight, 76 years later, you know. And I remember stealing some candy out of the jar. I'd forgotten that they put castor oil on it, so it gave me wind in the valley and so forth. So I remember uh, escaping over the fence, uh, no shoes, everything. And in those days, some of you, you're just too far removed from this, but in those days, there was the bobby standing on the, on the, the, the little silent cop. Any, anybody old enough to remember those things? Three or four of us? Okay. And uh, I went up to the policeman. I said... Um, Mm, I said, could you show me the way to the Suez Canal? <laughs> and he said, uh, where are you from? Uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning, I think. And I said, well, my mother sent me to get some milk. 
That, that means dumb. It is dumb. I mean, you know, I, just, I hate even to say these things, but I, I do have a point at the end of the, of the session tonight. So, um, uh, yeah, he said, you've escaped from the boys' home. I said, yeah. So, anyway, he took me and put me in the, in the clink. So, you're looking at the one a person who's been a jailbird for one night. And then my punishment in those days was to stand on the bricks. It was called standing on the bricks. Uh, I had to stand on the bricks in bare feet in winter for two whole weeks as a punishment and a warning to all the other kids not to try and escape to the Suez Canal. Yeah, so great. Anyway, so I mean, it has its touch of humor now. Uh, but, uh, you know, developed sense of rejection and just feeling, un you know, unacceptable. Well, who am I? Where did I come from? Why did my parents dump me? Everything like that. Why was I institutionalized? Why was I put in so many homes with so many women? What was wrong with me? So got all those complexes, uh, suicide thoughts. I had particularly when I was 14 uh, through to 18. Just uh, let's end it all. So, so saying all that, the thing I want to get to, and I want you to turn to your notes here. Over the years, I started to hear, I, I did accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal saviour when I was 14 years of age in the... Uh, Salvation Army City Temple downtown. Then I started to hear about generational curses and everything like that, that I was under a curse. Now for me, as a kid of 14 through to 18 particularly, and even years after that, I found that very hard to handle. Uh, reading off my notes here. Uh, I just had to, you know, with these tormenting questions in my mind over many years, was I under the curse of illegitimacy? Curse of being born out of wedlock, out of a state of marriage? Was I under what they called, just being very plain here, the curse of the bastard? If you've never experienced it, then you may not understand it. So in my subconscious mind... The thought was continually there. Well, why? Where did I come from? Why? You know, and I didn't know any of this that I, I've given you tonight, not till years later. But uh, it was just, you know, always just at the back of my mind. Why? You know, why? And in those days, it was a, uh, uh, a great scandal for a girl to be pregnant out of wedlock. And... Uh, yeah, so I struggled with that. And then even when I, I, I became a minister 21 years of age, sometimes in the middle of uh, preaching, how many know that the devil can even use the word to put a guilt trip on you? Ask your question. And sometimes just in the middle of preaching, uh, this scripture would pop into my mind, an illegitimate child will not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his 10th generation. Now the translation puts it this way. No one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of his descendants, uh, may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. So sometimes in the middle of preaching, this verse would pop in my mind. You shouldn't be preaching. You are an illegitimate child. To the 10th generation, you shouldn't even be here. And I'd, I'd break out in the middle of preaching just in a cold sweat, just with all this, and just, just hate myself and say, Lord, let me out of the place. Let me, you know. And I, you know, I, I many times had uh, suicidal thoughts. Never did it, as you can see. <laughs> I think one of the hardest things I had to handle, and then we're going to go to the scripture, how I feel the Lord helped me, was... Uh, uh, some of the things that Christians said, how many know that Christians can hurt you sometimes more than, uh, than even the sinner? And I used to hear Christians, particularly between the ages of 14 and 18, when I come to Christ and they'd say, um, well, that boy over there, uh, who's his parents? He hasn't got any parents. He's the bastard boy. And let me tell you, saints, that hurt. That hurt. And I used to think, well, I didn't ask to be born. 
I didn't want to be here. What am I doing here? You know, it's not my fault. I mean, just because I'm a result of somebody else's sin. I didn't ask. So I went through all that. So I became very withdrawn. I hated to see people. I would run away from people, enter meetings, get out the meeting real quick because I just dreaded to meet people. You may not think that now, but uh, just because of the Lord's grace in my life. So eventually, after, after a number of years, and it took me a number of years to come to this, uh, when I had to handle this whole thing, well, uh, iniquity of the fathers visited to the uh, children to the third and fourth generation. So what I want to do now is just leave that part. So I've sort of covered very briefly my years from uh, one to seven, particularly, uh, how hard that was how to handle. And then uh, years eight to 13, uh, where I was institutionalized so much and just one of the crowd. And then uh, from 14 to 18, where I became a ward of the state, and at 18 years of age, I joined the uh, Air Force. The war finished six months after I joined up. No thanks to me, of course. But, um, yeah, so that was that sort of stage. Now, I want you to go to the Scriptures with me. As I said, this may not necessarily help you. I hope it does help some people. But I hope it will help you to help others. So uh, I want you to go over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. And I want you to listen to the scriptures uh, with me and uh, what I have to sort out. So Numbers chapter 14. Now as we work through some of these scriptures here, what I found, and it took me a long time, I mean what we're covering in uh, 50 minutes here, it took me a long time to sort this out. Uh, so Numbers chapter 14, this is the scripture that was quoted so much and uh, under which I lived under guilt for many, many years, many, many years, even when I, in, uh, after married life and everything like that. So in uh, Numbers 14 and verse uh, 18 and 33, particularly as on your notes there, I'm not going to read the whole passage, uh, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. So as I would hear this and hear people and preachers talk about this thing, okay, reason I am what I am, I'm suffering because the iniquity of my father, whoever he was, and my mother, who was just a, a bad, bad woman, sorry to say, that I'm suffering under the iniquity and has visited on me to the third and fourth generation, that I'm under just the curse of uh, being Ill illegitimate. All right, now go over to uh, the next scripture here, Exodus chapter 34. I'd like you to look at these scriptures because what I'm sharing on the Word, uh, it was the only thing that in due time released me uh, with some of the lessons that uh, I want to give you out of that. So um, Exodus, uh, what's the next one? E Exodus chapter 34 which is uh, a very similar thing, Exodus chapter 34 and verses 5 to 7. Uh, I'll read verse 6 uh, and 7. Uh, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and the, upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So it adds here, not only visiting the iniquities of the children to the third and fourth generation, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So I would think, okay, if I ever get married and have kids, that means the curse is going to be on me. 
And uh, as it is on me, it's going to be on my kids, the third and fourth generation. So believe it or not, they were terrible things having to struggle with that. And then eventually, as I say, and as I said, I'm covering a lot of years here because it took me a long time to work this out. Uh, eventually, I felt the Lord just impressed me. Go back and do a proper study on this, Kevin, and check what the Bible says. So I want you to go back to the beginning of release for me. So Exodus chapter 20. Everybody doing okay? So Exodus chapter 20, and this is the first specific mention of what's uh, what's in those scriptures. So let's read it carefully. And it was the beginning for me of release. It didn't all happen at once as I can show you. So Exodus chapter 20, we have the, uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments. I'm reading from uh, New King James, as you've got in your notes there. So he says here, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, that's the first commandment, the first commandment, no other gods before me. Now, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, listen carefully, saints, because it was the beginning of release for me. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of... Let's all say it together of those who hate me. See, both the other passage I gave you, Numbers uh, Numbers chapter 14, Exodus 34, do not quote the last part. And when you read it in the context, and as I said, saints, it was the beginning of release for me. Okay? Uh, Of of the curse I felt I was under from my birth and the way I was born and so forth. It was the beginning of release. And so, who's God talking to in the Numbers 14 situation? second and third generation who have come out of Egypt and have now rejected the promised land and have murmured against God. They've had the Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and uh, they've seen all the miracles and signs and wonders of God down in Egypt. And God wants to bring them into the Canaan land, but now they've rejected the Abrahamic covenant, rejected the promised land. And so now it's that generation for, because of their unbelief. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, to the third and fourth generation, and he doesn't say of them because it's their disobedience. They brought the curse on themselves because of breaking the covenant. Totally different thing. Let me continue. But uh, so, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. I do not hate him. What does the next verse say? But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me. And keep my commandments. That's the difference. If you haven't marked your Bible on that, saints, you need to do it. The iniquity of the fathers visited to the third and fourth generation of those that hate him. But God shows mercy to thousands of them that love him. How many see the difference right there? That's the key to the whole thing. So that was the beginning of my release. I'll tell you more in a moment. Now let's go to the next uh, line of scriptures. And as I said, this may not necessarily help you. I hope it does. But I want you to help others because we're living in a generation that's uh, in bad state. All right, go to the next scripture you've got on your notes there. And Exodus chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 18. Now over the years, it's quite evident in the nation of Israel, this whole, whole theology of uh, generational curses began to, uh, to develop. And uh, so when you get to uh, some of the scriptures we're looking at, 
This is uh, what they had to deal with. So Ezekiel chapter 18. And listen to what it says here. Ezekiel 18. And uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through to 4. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter. But Ezekiel 18, verse 1 through to 4. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb saying concerning the land of Israel saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Uh, does anybody here, you, have you heard the expression, oh, he's just crying sour grapes. Anybody heard that? Yeah, okay. Where do we get it from? The Bible. So in Ezekiel's time, they're saying the proverbs, oh, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and as a result of that, the children's teeth are set on edge. Listen to what it says. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. So God is putting here individual responsibility and individual accountability. Let's continue on and we'll go down to verse 19 and 20. Yet... Uh, yet you say, why? Should the son, why, why should not the son bear the guilt of the father? Now remember, this is what I'm going through over all these years. For many years I went through, I'm bearing the iniquity of my father. My father was bad news. My mum was a bad woman. And I'm, I'm under that. I'm, I shouldn't be here. I'm a mistake. And all that type of thing. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul whose sins shall die. Now listen carefully to verse 20. It's so clear. The son, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. It is so clear. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, so when we quote the verse, or don't quote it properly, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, finish it. It's to them that hate him. But showing mercy to thousands of them that love him. And so the, 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 the son will not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Okay, read the rest of the chapter. Let's go quickly because time keeps moving. Let's go back to what Jeremiah is saying to his generation. And I, I, I do believe, saints, what I'm sharing tonight is a message for our generation too. So Jeremiah chapter 31, and listen to verse uh, 29 and 30. Jeremiah 31, and verse 29 and 30. And uh, just uh, same as Ezekiel, In those days they shall say no more, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his, te his teeth shall be set on edge. So it's individual accountability, individual responsibility. That's what God's saying. All right, let's just look at uh, two more scriptures here. I'd like you to go over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and uh, verse 16. Very clear here. So how, how many are starting to see, and if you've heard this over the years, how many times the scripture is quoted out of its context and uh, not quoted fully? 
and what it does to people. What it does to people who have gone through what I did when I was a kid. So listen to Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sins. So, reading from New King James, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sins. So teaching the same truth, individual responsibility, individual accountability. Let's go to our last scripture here, which confirms the same thing. 2 Kings chapter 14. Second Kings chapter 14, and saying the same thing. And I'll put some other references there uh, that you could look at some other time. Okay, Second Kings chapter 14, and uh, verse 6, we want to pick up. In this time, there was just bad uh, history in the nation of Israel and uh, so forth. Uh, and so God uh, speaks through the prophet here. And let's pick up in uh, verse uh, we'll, we'll go to ver- uh, go to verse one, I'll, I'll just to get lead, lead into it. So Second Kings fourteen verse one. In the in the second year of Joash. The son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established in his hands, uh, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. How many get the message? All the way through, God is teaching individual accountability and individual responsibility. So when we hear that saying, we've got to balance it out. All right, now, let me just finish on that section, then I want to go to uh, just uh, letter B, and just some of the lessons that I had to learn out of this looking back on my, my life. The real issue is what? You've got it there in your notes, Romans 3, verse 9 to 19. And why don't we turn to that, Romans 3? Because this, this is the bottom line for all, all of us. As I said, you know, what I'm sharing in a 50 minutes here has took me a lot of years to sort out. All right, Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 9. And Paul writing to the believers there, he says, What then are we, Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Everybody say all. all. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all. Everybody say all again. All turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all, everybody say all. And all the world 
reading from New King James here, all the world may become guilty before God. The verdict on the whole of mankind is we are all guilty. Then in verse 23, he sums it up, for all. Everybody say it again. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what's the real issue? We are all born sinners. Whether we have an ignoble birth like I had or whether you have a noble birth. It doesn't matter. We're all born in sin and we all need to be born again. That's the bottom line. Can we say amen on that? All need to be born again, born from above to inherit the kingdom of God. And everybody is individually accountable and every, everybody is individual, individually responsible. All right, let me just read off my notes and then I want to go through briefly and I'd like to encourage you to take down uh, some thoughts here. Things that I've learned over these years. All right, let me just read this. No one in human history had anything to do with their birth. I'll tell you when I'm, I'm number one. No one ever asked to be born. Anybody here? Did you ask to be born? <laughs> Put your hand up. <laughs> None of us had anything to do with the way we were born and why we were born. And uh, there may be even some, like myself years ago, wish you'd never been born. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. But I'll tell you what, we're living in a generation where a lot of kids wish they'd never been born. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. Most are happy with the way they have been born and just enjoy life. But uh, you have to realise, if you're born, you're stuck with yourself. (laughs) I mean... I used to try and run away from myself, and when I got there, I was there. <laughs> I remember sleeping one night up a tree because I didn't want to meet people. I thought if I could hang myself, I just didn't want to meet people. Just, yeah, just all that complex. You may not believe it now. All right, number one, the first lesson that I've learned out of this, please, and I'd like to encourage you to take it down. I'll try to make them brief. I learned that, number one, there are no accidents in God. No accidents in God. I used to feel my birth was accidental. I shouldn't be here. I wasn't meant to be. I'm the product of sin. I'm a result of sin. I'm illegitimate. I'm the BB. What B-boy as he used to call me. Uh, please take this uh, as reverently as I can say it. Uh, I mean, these are things, I, as I said, I struggle with and God help me. Um, when when any, any child is conceived... There's just generally one egg there, and only one wins. All the rest of the seed dies. Is that right? In conception. Well, saints, I won. Have you ever thought of that? You won. So what I'm saying here is that God knows there are no accidents in God. God knew you would be born. God knew I would be born. So you have to accept that. You have to come to faith. I mean, I know most of you have, but I'm just telling you my struggle. So you have to come to faith in God. God knew I would be born. There was a guy in the book of Judges by the name of Jephthah, and he was born as the son of a strange woman. And uh, he went through a lot of persecution. And finally, God came to him and we're told the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And when they saw the Spirit of God was upon him, they came to him and said, you be our judge, you be our deliverer. He said, look, look what you said about the way I was born. I'm the son of a harlot. 
Why do you want me now? It's the Spirit of God that makes all the difference in a person's life. That's it. So I had to first learn, okay, no accidents in God. God knew I would be born. Number two, second lesson I learned out of all this was, when your father and your mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. Psalm 27 and verse 10. When your father and your mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. And you know, there's many, many scriptures that express God's care for orphans. And as I look back over my life now, and I did a number of years ago, say, wow. And uh, anybody, because I don't know you're here tonight, but anybody who has been an orphan, and you know what it's about, uh, how many know that... uh, you know, all of our lives, that's why I put that picture up, you know, coming from different angles. Uh, how many have seen Anne of Green Gables? <laughs> Hands up. Uh, did you cry at all? Uh, did you laugh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't look at Anne of Green Gables because there I see myself. Not as, not as a boy, of course, you know. <laughs> but little orphan Annie. Uh, anybody see the orphan train? Oh, one. Where have you been all my life? Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I can't handle orphan stories. How many remember when Bill was here from New York? I mean, did you cry or did you cry? And what was his last thing when he saw that little boy standing there? He saw himself. Wow. And I, you know, I, I can't handle those stories because I see, yeah. But God knows. God knows. So... Second point, when your father and mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. And we can say, praise God. Because you identify, feel for people. And I've had many kids, you know, I'm just in, uh, in Malaysia just recently, and uh, some Chinese Malay there. I just in the course, I just flash mentioned this, because, so, well, we go through there, our Buddhist families and so forth, and just a guilt, such a false guilt trip that's put on so many kids, because they can't help it. It's not their fault, they're here but the thing that we put on them. Okay, number three, the third lesson. I have learned that the Lord can preserve and restrain you from all forms of sin. I'll say that again. I have learned that the Lord can preserve and restrain, well, from, you know, exceeding sin. I have learned that the Lord can preserve and restrain from exceeding sin. Uh, no, no conceit on my part, those of you who know me. I look back on my life and, uh, you know, I, I try to go the way everybody does. You know, I, I actually tried to smoke. I know this sounds funny, but, you know, when we were kids, we used to try and smoke horse manure, <laughs> rolled up in newspaper. It didn't have the Marlboro flavor, anything like that, so... Uh, you know, I didn't know whether to suck or blow. I mean, just to let you know, I am a human being. Those of you who think you're holy, Joe, I am a human being. Okay, and I've been through it. Yeah, okay. But uh, just from there, there to there, you know, <laughs> a critical period. I just made some uh, decisions. Valley of decision. Multitudes in the valley of decision. And so God kept me. I mean, I was tempted, excessively tempted when I was in the Air Force on immorality. And it was only God's grace that preserved me. And those of you who've been in military service, you know, all those filthy men, some of them, and the prostitution up in Townsville, and, and people who tried to seduce me, I don't know, I, I break out in sweat, but God preserved me 
from immorality. So when I got married, I was, I was a virgin. And it was just God's grace, because, yeah, if you knew. You, you're all human beings. Don't look so holy at me. <laughs> uh, when, when I was younger, uh, going to number four, when I was younger, I used to hear people get up like we've had in the last year or so and think, oh, I wish I had a testimony like that. You know, and, and it just seemed the worse the sinner you were, the more you got the pulpit. And the bigger the testimony you had. So unless you could put a so-and-so murderer, you know, everything like that, you wouldn't get the pulpit. And I used to sit back there, like some of you holy Joes, and think, I'm going to go out and live like the devil. And then, really, live like sin. And then I'll get saved. Then I'll have a testimony. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt that? Oh, come on, you lying spirits. <laughs> Look, the Bible says, as in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. I know you people because I know my own heart, see? So don't try to pull the wool over my eyes. Okay. All right. So eventually God quickened this to me, or I heard it somewhere anyway, that the Lord did not save me out of that type of sinful life. He saved me from it. Hallelujah. Because sin does not glorify God. Sin does not glorify God. So the bigger the sinner you've been, the, you don't get the pulpit just where we glamorize sin. I've heard it over the years. So God saved me from it. All right, number four, quickly. I have learned that the Lord has accepted me just as I am. Ephesians 1.6, so I have learned that the Lord has accepted me just as I am. Ephesians 1.6, he's made us accepted in the beloved. You know, and the whole, the whole philosophy of acceptance, you know, you talk about self-acceptance, people accepting you. Uh, e. Stanley Jones uh, gave me this thought. Uh, in the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging Christ, he says, uh, take the modern psychological dictum, accept yourself as you are. This asks you to accept an unacceptable self, which is impossible. Jesus treats us differently. He says, I will accept you as you are, but I will make you into a self which you can accept for it will be acceptable. It will be under redemption. Therefore, it will be acceptable. But psychology's dictum of accepting yourself as you are is false, morally and psychologically. It leaves the person frustrated. You cannot accept an unacceptable self. That's so good. Ephesians 1.6, God has made us accepted and beloved. So all the years of rejection, rejection myself, feeling rejected of people and everything like this and the nasty things that were said uh, periodically to me, thought, God, you've accepted me. And well, that, that is an awesome thing, folks, just to, just to know that you accept it, just as I am. We, tell, we, we sing it to the sinners. Let's sing just as I am without one plea, but we don't accept it ourselves. Well, he accepts us just as I am. But he's not going to leave you the way you are. All right, number five, quickly. I have learned that when a person comes to Christ, they can begin a new generation. That's worth a little baby hallelujah. I have learned that when a person comes to Christ, they can begin a new generation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. All things have passed away and all things become new. Amen? So when a person comes to Christ, they can begin a new generation. And you know, whatever my wife, you see, people say, okay, now, I'm trying to balance out some things here. Uh, There's people that have been under curses from generations, but it's those that hate him. But when we come to Christ, I believe we can break the power of past generations. Is, Is that true or not? 
See, if I'm going to go back generations, I'm going to go way back to Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Because they're the problem. If you want to go back generations, go way back there, because that's where it all started. When I get to heaven, see Adam and Eve, or Mr. and Mrs. Adam, it's ladies first. Okay, now. Okay, you're laughing with me, not at me. All right, now quickly. Look what God has done in my life, in his grace. I have started a new generation. So whatever my dad was, whoever he was, whatever my mum was, bad, bad, bad news, all that stuff there, I'm, I'm a new creation. Mark is second generation, and Josiah and all the kidlets there, they're third generation. And all Mark's kids, they're all managing directors, they're all bosses, they're all preachers. Third generation. So, first generation, second generation, third generation. Hallelujah. Number six, quickly. I have heard, I have learned, <laughs> yeah. I have learned that the Lord can help us to turn life's negatives into positives. I have learned that the Lord can help us to turn life's negatives into positives. So, having no father and mother over those years, which was really, really tough, it may not. Now, because, you know, I'm older. But it was tough in those years. The most, they, the, they were the most negative things in my life. I'll talk about some things next uh, week here. So I asked the Lord to turn those negatives into positives. And first of all, make me a good father to Mark. And I think I have been. He's been spoilt rotten. <laughs> Everything I never had in life he's got. And then I asked the Lord uh, to make me a good father to um, uh, Mark and Sharon, my son and daughter, and then also make me a good father spiritually. And uh, God has been so good. I have so many adopted sons and daughters throughout the world and so many nations. And I say, wow, that's the greatest honor God could give me. So God has helped me. It, it took me years. I'm saying in 50 minutes, it took me years. But God's helped me to turn the negatives of my life into positives. Finally, number seven, then I have one more thing before our time's up. Wow, doesn't time go? All right, number seven, I have learned that all things work together for good. Doesn't matter whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, the things we like, the things we don't like, all things work together for good to them that love God. See, visiting the iniquity of the third generation, third and fourth generation of them that hate him, but showing mercy to thousands of them that love him. Romans 8, verse 28 to 30. Romans 8, verse 28 to 30. So all things work together for good. And as I look back over my life, and I'm sure many of you can say the same, wow, thank you, Lord, for your grace. All right, let me finish on this. Now, let me apply this going way down the bottom. And, and as I said, if this does not help you, I hope it does, but I want to help you to help others. Let me read off my note. We are living in a fatherless generation. And there are thousands of kids out there, if they haven't been aborted, so if they're aborted, they don't know any different. But there are thousands of kids out there. And I've had numerous come in my life over these years who have been born the same way I was. No, no father, no parents, just hate themselves. In fact, Australia has the highest teenage suicide rate in the English-speaking world. And most of the kids who commit suicide, they leave death notes. I'm not wanted. I feel rejected. Nobody wants me. Where's my parents? There's nothing to live for. No purpose in life. This should help them. That's why I've given this, to help them. So kids who've been institutionalized and go through the traumas of childhood, 
And if we are witnessing to such, then I'd like to encourage you to use some of these things. We need to know how to handle the scripture and say, God knew you would be born. There's no accidents in God's mind. Even when your father and mother forsook you, God can take you up. The Lord can preserve you from sin, not in it. And you can be accepted in Christ. So for me, as we sort of wrap up here, the big thing came. So all those years came when I was a kid of 14. And the Salvation Army, I accepted the Lord as my saviour. From then on, I begin a new generation. All things pass away. All things become new. Let me finish on this and then our time's up. I got this tract a number of years ago. It's entitled The Curse of Hereditary. Let me finish on this. Like mother, like daughter is the common expression of a natural law. Like father, like son, that like begets like. See how it looks in figures. Mr. Edwards, a godly Englishman, married a beautiful godly woman. Their son migrated to America and there became the progenitors of numerous offspring, of which the careers of 1,344 persons have been traced. Of these, 295 were college graduates, 13 college professors, 65 college presidents, 186 ministers of the gospel, 101 were lawyers, 86 were state senators, and three were congressmen, uh, congressmen, 30 judges, and one vice president of the U.S. There were also 75 laymen and Sunday school teachers. In the whole record of the Edwards family, none were ever arrested or tried for crime. Now look in the opposite direction. In the year 1877, in the state of New York, a very licentious and profane man by the name of Dukes married a woman of like character. From this union there sprang 1,900 descendants. Of these, 771 were criminals, 250 others were arrested and tried for various crimes, 60 were thieves and spent 120 years in prison, 39 were convicted of murder, 40 of the women were known to have a social disease, uh, social disease, 10 only of Duke's progeny ever learned a trade, and this they did in jail. Altogether, his descendants spent 1,300 years in prison, costing the government $2,700,000 to prosecute and to maintain them in prison and the poorhouse. That illustrates that the iniquity of the fathers of the third and fourth generation of them that hate him, but God shows mercy to thousands of them that love him. I love him tonight, don't you? Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we just stand in your presence. And Lord, I I just thank you from the bottom of my heart, Lord, that anything I am is by your grace. I thank you for your mercy in my life, Father. As I look back over these years, 76 years, Father, I thank you for your grace in my life. And Father, I just pray that what I've shared tonight, always hard to share, always sensitive and sore spots, even though I know you've healed me. I just pray it'll help everybody here, and if it doesn't help us, to help, help us to help others, Lord. We look at a lost, hurting, dying generation of kids out there, fatherless generation, institutionalized, committing suicide. Father, and the, the church has the answer because you're the answer, a new creation. Father, I just pray that you'll seal this word on all of our hearts, help us to meditate upon it, and help us, Lord, not to hurt others, but to be helpful. Help us, Lord, to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. God, just seal this word to all of our hearts and bless us throughout this week. We ask in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.